What's going on, everybody? Welcome into episode 52 of the Two Stripes Podcast, the podcast that covers everything going on in the world of college football. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, and want to thank you for listening to the show today. If you can't tell, I'm a little bit under the weather, so bear with me here on the intro as we get into today's interview, but before we do that, Thanks to everybody who checked out episode 51, Talking Washington Football with Ryan Priest of UW Dog Pound. That was one of my favorite shows that I've done. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you were a first-time listener, I hope you're sticking around for this week's episode and all the episodes to come. And if you guys like the show, it would be a tremendous help if you went on to Apple Podcasts, search the Two Stripes Podcast, subscribe to the show, leave a star rating, Leave some feedback. Hell, even if you don't like the show, leave me some feedback. And then uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter, at Dubsco, that's D-U-B-S-C-O. Any sort of feedback, negative or positive, helps. So if you like the show, please leave a rating on iTunes. Leave me some feedback. And then uh, leave me a comment on Twitter about what you think about the show. Getting into this week's episode, the other day I had the opportunity to speak with Riley Johnston who is the managing editor for bloggersodear.com, SB Nation's Wake Forest blog. And we spent a good 25 minutes talking about the Demon Deacons and what could line up to be a pretty special season for them this year. They're a program that doesn't get a ton of shine, and it's pretty hard to. Right now in the ACC Atlantic with Clemson at its peak, Florida State is Florida State, and then Louisville under Bobby Petrino has been pretty consistent. So there's a lot of good teams in their division, and the ACC as a whole is in a solid place right now. But Wake is a part of that. They have gone 7-6 and six and 8-5 and five in the last two years. They beat Texas A&M in the Belk Bowl last year in what was a really entertaining game. So head coach Dave Clawson has built them into a program that can consistently win and I think make bowl games, which is not the easiest thing to do at Wake Forest. So Riley did a really good job, I think, of breaking down, you know, what Clawson has done to build that up and how it pertains to this season and why this may be the most special year for them in a long time. So with that in mind, I'm not going to subject you guys to my usual rambling intro to these interviews. Let's get right into it. Here is Riley Johnston of Blogger So Dear. I am super excited to be joined for episode 52 of the Two Stripes podcast by the managing editor of bloggersodear.com, SB Nation's Wake Forest site, and his name is Riley Johnston. Riley, what's going on, man? And thank you for joining the show. I'm ready to talk some Wake Forest football, bro. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to uh, talk about it. I hadn't uh, I had to do a little cleaning up because I hadn't really thought a lot about football since uh, spring ball wrapped up and re- we got a few months uh, before the regular season, but I'm excited to jump right back into it. It should be a lot of fun. I, I've been really excited prepping for this episode because Wake Forest doesn't get a lot, if any, national love. And they're a team and a program that is on the rise, has been you know, quietly, I think, evolving and getting better over the past couple of seasons. Head coach Dave Clawson is in his fifth year, which seems like if you follow college football, remember him at Bowling Green. It's crazy to say that this is already year five for him, but first two years – three and nine and three and nine but then the last two seasons you started to see that progress seven and six and eight and five last year they beat Texas A&M in the Belk Bowl in a very exciting game 55 to 52 and it, it just feels like there's a lot of energy around the program from the outside 
you know, what's it like amongst the fan base and the program itself right now for Wake Forest football? I think everybody is as optimistic about this upcoming season as they've been in quite some time. Obviously, Wake Forest is not known for their football prowess, aside from 10 years ago when we had a run between 2006 and 2008. I'm obviously going to the Orange Bowl, winning the ACC uh, in a surprise. Those were the three years were the most winning in school history. So um, now that Dave Clawson's here and he's established what he's done at every other school um, before Wake Forest, we're excited to see what the next step is. And hopefully that'll translate this year into an 8-9 or even a 10-win season if, uh, if the everything breaks correctly. I don't want to catch any heat from Wake Forest fans here, but like referencing back to that Jim Grobe team that went to the Orange Bowl, even though the record last year and the year before wasn't as good as that team, at least from my perspective, it, it feels like Wake Forest, not that when they had success then was a fluke, but it feels like this is more stable. And, you know, for as long as Clawson is going to be there, that seven wins, eight wins, that this is possible every single season because of the staff that they brought in, the culture that he's created. It just feels like they're in a really solid place right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it doesn't denigrate anything that Coach Grove and the staff did back then to say that they caught lightning in a bottle. And I think he would be the first one to tell you that. Um, You know, you can talk all you want to about how there are diamonds in the rough. And if you find that, you can succeed with that. And that's true in a one, two, three-year situation um, if you get a good class, which we did with Alfonso um, Smith. Uh, Aaron Curry, a lot of different guys that came in there that were in and out of the league who made a big plays for us. Um, but you need those three, four, five stars if you're going to be consistent uh, on the national playing field. And while Wake hasn't really gotten to that four and five star, we're getting on those lists now, and, and we're building a program where we're starting to get those guys uh, that are coming onto campus. And I think it's a matter of time before Clawson starts laying the talent that we need to compete in what I believe is the, the toughest division in uh, college football in the ACC Atlantic. Yeah, and I think for a lot of uh, teams that are kind of in Wake's position that have you know a really solid year and are on the come up you know they may have lost some players and it's easy to say oh well this team is is going to be good again you know just because you you think that that progression is going to go year by year in a lot of cases it doesn't happen but in Wake Forest case I don't think it's just the the fan base or people that watch college football that think hey they could they could do this again and even be better because in S and P plus they're projected to be thirty fourth this should be a pretty damn good team this season so with those expectations has there been a, a change in the fan base at all because I know you guys wrote about the other day about you know that this is a team that deserves a fan base that really is behind it and trying to build that culture of a fan base supporting its football team. Right, and so one thing about Wake Forest fans just in general, we're a small but passionate and proud bunch. It's one of the smallest schools in Division One, and most people don't know that about Wake Forest. They think it's probably 15, 20, 25,000, but I think we've only got 5,000 people there. When I graduated in 2012, I think we were the largest class, and since then it's gotten progressively bigger, but it's still a very small school, especially when you compare it against you know Florida State, NC State, Clemson, those types of enrollments. So, um, but everybody that is following the program and that we've talked to, whether it be you know online or in person at the spring game, it is very optimistic. And, and we've got to replace some big keys on offense and on defense moving forward this year. But we return, I think, the 37th most production in the country. Um, and our entire line's coming back. Pretty much all of our skill position on offense, minus John Wolford, a quarterback, are coming back. So I think most people believe that this year, with the schedule breaking the way it does, not too difficult out-of-conference schedule, um, we hopefully the goal 
goals are to get to a bowl game in Florida. Maybe if we can knock off a Clemson or a Florida State, um, sneak, possibly sneak into a championship game. But that that's just kind of hard to imagine right now. So I, I think most people are, are optimistic and positive about the direction of the program for sure. Yeah, 37th total in returning production, 43rd on offense. And let, let's talk about replacing John Wolford and that offense because – you know, I knew that Wake Forest was pretty solid on offense, but when I was looking into this, I saw that they were two in passing S&P Plus, and I was like, wow, that that is very impressive. And they were one of the most efficient passing games in the country last year. They finished in the top five in passing success rate. They're super efficient. Uh, they were able to generate some big plays, and they didn't give up a ton of sacks. And, and Wolford, on the ground, through the air, was an extremely productive quarterback. And as of right now, it looks like Kendall Hinton is going to be that guy to replace him. What do you think the direction is for the offense this season, and what does Kendall Hinton bring to the table? Right, so Kendall Hinton's actually, he, he was projected as the starter coming out of spring ball last year, um, but John Wolford just beat him out as we got closer to the fall, um, you know, kind of coupled with what happened in the spring. Um, so that kind of tells you the talent that Hinton had. Uh, he was the starter a couple of years ago as well before he um, tours ACL against Delaware and was out for the season. He, he brings a, a dual threat look just like John Wolford does, but he probably got better acceleration at the line of scrimmage um, but what he does lack I think that Wolford was so good at was the ability under pressure to make the right decision and that was kind of uh worked in over four years where he took a lot of beatings so Hinton doesn't have that experience yet and I think he's got to work on his short game to uh, mid-range passing for him to be effective in the offense that Dave Clawson wants to run um It'll be interesting to see if we kind of gear the offense a little differently than what we had under Wolford, who could stand in there and make, you know, he couldn't run when he needed to. He was deceptively quick, and he got a lot of rushing yards as well. Um, but he also made the right decision, and that's what we saw as a senior. So it, I don't know if Hinton is ready to take that next step yet, but the job is his to lose, and I would expect to see him be the starter uh, when we play Tulane on Thursday night in August. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about if there's going to be any difference with the offense, at least early on, because from everything I've read, that's kind of that's pretty much on point. Is that you know where the offense really was at its best last year was with uh, Walford's decision making in that short passing game, and not to say that Hinton can't do that, but it may take a little bit of time. Do you think at least early on that that may be reflected more and you know a lot more option concepts, even though Wolford did run the ball quite a bit, but a lot more running and maybe you know a few more deep passes downfield especially with some of the receivers that wake has just at least until he kind of works out those day-to-day -day consistency issues in a live game setting yeah i would tend to agree with that and i think we've got a couple of games i think the game at tulane actually is going to be tougher than people think uh, willie fritz is doing a good job down there so i don't want to scrap that up as just a game where we can do whatever but i, I do think option team too yeah so it, that'll be interesting as well so the defense has to prepare for that and we're kind of filling some holes there um the good news on the option front is well, i think we played option team once a year for the last 20 years it seems like so um, it's i know they run a bit of a different option look than you know your standard triple option but that'll be good um on uh, from an offensive standpoint i, I think you kind of hit the 
nail on the head. Hinton's very good at throwing the deep ball, and he can also run, but I think he tucks it in too, too quick at times. He needs to go through his progression, trust his arm, and make the throw, but he doesn't have the safety net in Cam Serenade anymore. Tamari Hines is transferring to some big-time program. I'm not sure which one yet, but he will have Greg Dortch coming back from that injury that he's sustaining against Louisville. So I think we will set him up for success with a lot of screen, kind of behind-the-line stuff, um, giving some easy reads, some simple progressions where he's not rushing it, build his confidence, and just rely. I think we've got four or five redshirt seniors at the offensive line position, so he's going to have time to make decisions. He just got to trust his reads and make the throw. Let's talk about those receivers, and you mentioned one of my favorites, and that's Greg Dorch was a freshman last year, played in uh, eight games before getting injured, but caught 54 passes for 732 yards and nine touchdowns. And then a guy that I really like as well, Scotty Washington. He's a bigger dude at 6'5", had nearly 16 yards per catch, and he's another one of those kind of deep threats. What What is your forecast for those guys, and what do you think the ceiling for this offense is if Hinton or you know whoever else, if, if it happens, if there were a quarterback switch, if they're able to find – that consistency in the passing game because it feels like th this could be a really really good receiving core yeah i agree and we've got a lot of younger guys coming in there too so it does it's not good that tavari hines is leaving but he was behind greg dorch who came in and effectively took that slot position uh, away from him so I, I don't know why it seemed like we had trouble getting them both on the field uh, at the same time i'm not sure what the detail behind that departure was if he just wanted a new look or if there was something else to it but um Greg Dorch is obviously going to step right in there. He's fully back from his injury um, that, he, that he had against Louisville last year. And, you know, nine touchdowns as a freshman on 54 catches is amazing. And he's one of the fastest guys that I've seen uh, wear the Wake Forest jersey in a long time. And it's not just, you know, straight line speed. It's the elusiveness. Uh, there are a couple plays against Louisville before he got hurt that were just absurd touchdowns where he caught one behind the line of scrimmage and just made three guys miss and look ridiculous. Then he caught another one on slant and just blitzed everybody in that secondary who should have a couple people drafted. I think Jair Alexander should go late first round night. So he made those guys look bad. And Scotty Washington really came on at the end of the season. He's a guy who can go up and catch and win those jump balls. So even though his uh, catch rate and success rate on catches isn't necessarily that high, when you're going on deep shot, as you said, the 16 yard per catch, then you're not necessarily looking for a high catch rate. You just want, you know, to hit on the ones that you get every once in a while because those are going to be your big gainers. Um, as far aside from those two guys, it'll be interesting to see what we do at the tight end position. We got a couple of guys vying for that spot, but if nobody emerges, it wouldn't surprise me at all to just go with more three and four wide receiver sets. We've got Alex Bachman coming back, who has been a very reliable, um, sure-handed receiver, as well as a couple of other good players who can step in there um, in freshmen that haven't necessarily seen the field yet. Yeah, if you're not a Wake Forest fan and you're listening to this and you haven't you don't know who Greg Dorch is, go check out some of his highlights because he is a bad, bad man at only 5'8", and he should be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, shifting to the run game, you already brought up four of the uh, linemen are fifth-year seniors. They got all five offensive linemen back, and even though they lose 10 touchdowns with Wolford on the ground and almost 800 rushing yards, Hinton, like you said, should be able to provide some of that dynamicism in the run game, and then you have you know, three-headed, I don't know if it's a monster, but it's three dudes that are very capable of running the ball and picking up yards. And, and it feels like, 
you know, this isn't an offense that it's just going to be that one running workhorse running back. It's going to be running back by committee. Guys are going to be fresh. And it feels like all these guys kind of have a different skill set and they can bring something unique to the offense. Yeah, so the running game is pretty interesting right now. So we've got Matt Colburn, who ran for 904 yards last year, touched it 166 times and did not fumble once, which is pretty amazing. Um, and, and then we also have Kate Carney coming back, who has been a little bit injury-prone, but he's a guy who's a bowling ball, 5'11", over 200 pounds. He does not have a lot of fat on him. And then we actually moved Arkeem Bird from running back to safety, but he tore his ACL in the spring game, or before the spring game, so he's out for the year. But the good news is we have a local product named Christian Beal from East Forsyth, who's local in uh, Winston-Salem. And he came in, and I think he's going to be the home run guy that we've been looking for. He played well in the spring game, showed off a lot of his uh, athleticism behind the line, and uh, as well as just trying to get into space and being able to make guys miss. So I think it's definitely going to be that three-headed uh, monster-type running game that you're looking at. And when you've got Hinton, he's a guy that has to be accounted for at all times as well. So that's going to free up uh, you know, a lot of room there if they have to move a safety down to spy or you know, account for the quarterback. So that makes it a little more difficult in run situations because you're not stacking the box and you're not necessarily going to win the numbers game defensively. So that kind of comes in where you need a good, solid runner in Colburn and you need Hinton to continue to make the right audibles and decisions. Um, but I think the running game is going to do very well. And a lot of times, you know, people don't give offensive linemen enough, not just credit, but they don't even look at them as, you know, how they make the offense work. If you're not getting touched until you're five yards down the field, then it doesn't really matter how bad of a runner you are. You know, I can run in and get five yards. I might not make it after the hit, but if, you, if they're doing that consistently, then they make guys look pretty good, and, and this should be the, the best offensive lineman that Wake has since, I think, 2003 or 2004. So on offense, we talked about Greg Dorch being that guy who you should watch out for and is a star defensively digging into this Justin Stranod was a dude that I, I didn't know much about looked at his numbers watched the highlights and this is a kid at linebacker that wasn't a starter last year but all he does is make plays he, he looks like a safety at linebacker in a reserve role he had 51 tackles eight and a half for loss four and a half sacks including I think two against Lamar Jackson three interceptions and two forced fumbles what do you think his ceiling is now that he's you know, almost a de facto leader of that that back seven and maybe the defense as a whole. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So he his numbers kind of pop out because even though he, you know, he had limited snaps and he got more snaps throughout the year, um, you know, 41 and a half tackles, not necessarily great for a linebacker, but eight and a half tackles for loss, three run stuff, three picks, and a couple of forced fumbles. He's just a guy who makes plays when we need it. Um, and he's going to step into that role. It's kind of interesting because Demetrius Kemp has been our rover the last couple of years um and he's at 6'1 220 you think Mr. Nod might have more of a build to be that rover guy but I think Coach Clawson wants to keep Kemp in that position and Mr. Nod will just be another linebacker so it'll be kind of interesting to see how we handle that if we flip those around or somebody else emerges at the linebacker position there because we have to replace two seniors in Jabori Williams and Grant Dawson um as well as obviously Jesse Bates at the safety position who if uh, a team likes him might draft him late in the first round tonight uh so 
there are a lot of holes that we have to fill, but I think Cameron Glenn is going to be the guy on defense who anchors everything. Um, you know, he's been the vocal leader the last three years. Uh, he, he's seen what uh, Jesse Bates was able to do last year, and Glenn was kind of the guy who freed up Bates' ability to play center field. Glenn would go lock down on his guy or pick up whoever, and the Bates could kind of rove and, and get those interceptions, get those uh, get those hits. So that that's kind of the, the guy behind uh, the curtain that allowed Bates to be a lot of who he is. So he'll continue to do that, but uh, it's going to be difficult to replace Bates back there. So looking up front, they lose Duke, Edgefor, and Wendell Dunn on the line, but two guys in Willie Yerby and Zeke Rodney, who had 16 run stuffs last year, are back, and people seem to be really excited about Boogie Basham up front as well. Do you think that... The- they can hold steady up there or even improve off of what was a pretty good line. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that we would lose Duke and Wendell, two um, fifth-year seniors, and somehow get better. But one thing that this coaching staff has done a really, really good job of, I think, is rotations on the offensive and defensive line. So not only keeping guys fresh throughout the year, but getting guys in that, you know, when they show it, when it's time to step into their role, they played a lot. So you've got Alante Bateman, you've got Boogie Basham, you've got Chris Calhoun, you've got Kamara, you've got a guy in Mike Allen who's one of the first four stars to commit to Wake in the last 10 years um, who should play a lot. There, there's a lot of reason for optimism on that defensive line. And I don't know. I think we'll see some growing pain still. But Boogie Basham is definitely a name that people need to look out for. And I, and I think, uh, you know, Bateman is also more than capable of holding it down there as well. What do you think the biggest key to this defense's consistency and, and overall play is this season? I mean, we just got to get a consistency out of the linebacker position. I think that was the biggest fall from uh, 2016 to last year. If you look at the stats, uh, we fell pretty far in the S&P, and a lot of that was just because we didn't have that second line there to stop. If a guy got by our, line, our defensive line, the linebackers weren't there. They were just out of position at times. And Grant Nelson was a former walk-on um, who turned team captain at Wake, who started, and by no means was he you know, just there by default. He was a good player, and he made a lot of tackles, but there was also a speed issue there. Um, and so while he did get those 10.5 tackles for law if a guy got by them or got by him specifically then he was going to go for a ways um we just need to get guys who are a little quicker uh, a little can react to the play better and, and just kind of fill fill in the gaps that we didn't have last year and, and it'll also be interesting to see we've got bassey and henderson at the cornerback positions i really like both of those guys uh, as well as a couple of other young freshmen who should back those guys up and play some nickelback if need be uh, i think the defense will take a step forward this year as well and uh we need it to be opportunistic even if they're not going to be you know a, a solid defense in that bend but don't break philosophy so looking at wake's schedule the the big thing that stands out is five of the first six games at home yeah ridiculous. <laughs> yeah which is such a crazy start and then of course you know at, at the back end they have to finish with at nc state Pitt, and then at duke two of their i think three of their last five games are on the road and then you add in a road game at fsu in the middle of the season as well but, you know, as somebody that's completely on the outside and doesn't follow Wake a ton, it feels like to me, and you brought up the, the home game against Clemson, but like the line between another season of like, oh, hey, Wake was Wake was pretty good. They had a nice season and something that's like, wow, this is really special. To me, kind of feels like that Notre Dame game. You know, Notre Dame has issues at quarterback. They lost two super good offensive linemen to the NFL. And that's still early in the season, and that's a home game for Wake. You you figure it's going to be a crazy atmosphere, and it's a game that I think they have a legitimate shot at winning. Uh, How important do you think that game is in 
I mean, it's, I guess it's just an obvious question and an easy answer, but how important is it for them to get off to a fast start this season with all those games at home? Right. I think, and just kind of looking at it now, I mean, there's not really a lot of room for error. So just assume you're going to win the Towson game. I hate assuming that, but I mean, Division <laughs> double A team, they're FCS team. You know, if it's going to be a good season, you start with that. You also kind of assume Rice. And then your next step up, you've got at Tulane. That's more of a maybe up, you know, 65 70 percent type chance but Boston College is a good team that's probably looking to win six seven eight games this year too so and that's a Thursday night before Notre Dame if we can get to the Notre Dame game three and oh which I would guess our win expectancy is 2.25 maybe somewhere around there for those uh those three games if we can get to that game three and oh that Notre Dame game is going to be one of the bigger ones in uh recent week history and if we can somehow manage to knock them off and then get Rice and 5-0, which I don't think will happen, uh, then that game against Clemson will be absolutely massive before the bye week and we head into the second part of the schedule. But if you're breaking down the season into a kind of a tale of two seasons, those, those first six games, I think Wake has to be sitting at 4-2 uh, and two at least going into the bye if they want to get to seven or eight wins because the back season – back half of the schedule not not an easy one what do you think a reasonable expectation is for wake this year um if i had to guess i haven't seen a vegas line i probably 6.5 wins is what they're projecting so um you personally i think getting to eight or nine wins it would be what make the, the next step there and a lot of times you know game can be their season can be decided on just you know the weirdest thing so i don't like really saying you know it will only be a success if we go eight and four nine and four after the bowl game um but but I think we want to just continue to take that next step, knocking off a big team. Uh, we beat Louisville last year here, which was a big game for Wake, considering our uh, more more recent history um, rivalry with them. But we got to get a big win, whether that's you know Clemson here, Notre Dame here, um, or even beating you know State and Raleigh. That's been a house of horrors for us the last 25 years. Um, so I think we got to get that big win. And uh, playing in a Florida Florida bowl game uh, come around New Year next year, that 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 would be a successful season in my mind. So final one, two parter what do you think the ceiling is for wake forest and, and what do you think the floor is for this team i think the, the ceiling is probably nine wins <laughs> overall include the bowl it, it would be a pipe dream to try to get to 10 win um, especially given the road games at florida state at louisville at nc state and notre dame and clemson coming here the floor uh it's kind of hard to say i mean if just looking at the schedule if we lost at you know, one of the two games to Boston College, Tulane, lost to Notre Dame, lost to Clemson. We're sitting at three and three there. I, I would say four or five wins would be the floor. Um, not making a bowl would be a pretty big disappointment this year. It would take a little bit of the momentum and the wind out of the sails of what Coach Clawson has established uh, here in Winston-Salem. Well, I know that I'm going to be really excited to watch them play this year, especially that Notre Dame game. If they start off 3-0, and it definitely feels like it could be the start of something special for them this season. And playing in that division is so rough. Yeah. To see them have the year that they did last year and, and come back. And like, like we said earlier, it's not just, I think, fan optimism after a really good year and beating an SEC team in a bowl game. You know, the numbers back it up that this this is a team that if they're able to fix some of the consistency issues or, or get that down with Kendall Hinton in the passing game, 
then you know i think sky's the limit yeah i think that the, the schedule is deceptively hard so if you're looking at it and you say oh there's five home games in a row obviously that's good and you see rice and boston college and Towson and tulane tulane's better than people think at face value boston college is going to be a good team i think every single team in the atlantic has a legitimate chance to make a bowl this year even syracuse i would guess that only syracuse will have a below um six over under from vegas which is ridiculous for a division there are no off game um there and you know when we have the crossover at duke when they've emerged uh the last few years that that's not easy either for a rivalry game so um we're gonna have to win get some tough games and just go out and take care of business and not worry about it yeah when the team that has the lowest over under in the division is one that knocked off clemson last year you know that you're in for a dogfight in that division but i'm excited to watch them and if you guys want to keep up with any of the coverage of wake forest football and any of the other great sports that wake forest has got going on i would highly recommend that you go to bloggersodear.com also give them a follow on twitter at bloggersodear and you can follow Riley on Twitter. Riley, where can they do that at? Yeah, it's at BSD underscore R.A. Johnston. Um, appreciate the plug there. I tweet a lot about sports and some about politics, so sorry in advance. <laughs> That's all right, man. We we don't stick to sports <laughs> on this show. So <laughs> so it's, it's all fair game. I, I really thank you for joining the show. I'm excited to watch Wake Forest this year, and uh, glad we got an episode in on uh, on the Demon Deacons because they deserve to be talked about more. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you having me on. It's always a uh, joy to spread the Wake Forest gospel because most people don't usually hear about it. Shout out to Riley for joining the show. It was a lot of fun talking about Wake Forest. Make sure to visit bloggersodear.com. Follow them on Twitter at bloggersodear and follow him on Twitter at BSD underscore R.A. Johnston. I'm telling you guys, that game against Notre Dame could end up being like their their Iowa State-Oklahoma game from last year. I don't know if Notre Dame's going to be that good to be where OU was last season, but that may be a game if they win that really propels them into the national consciousness and people are like, oh man, Dave, Dave Clawson's doing a really good job with that program. And that is, uh, that's one where I think if they want to have a special season, you got Notre Dame at home, that's your opportunity. So September 22nd, mark that day down. We'll see if, uh, we'll see if they can do it. Even if they don't, there's still a lot of reasons to be excited about them this season. Namely for me, Greg Dorch, Justin Stranod. Those are two guys that I think have very bright futures in front of them and deserve to get a little more national recognition. So excited to watch those players and how their seasons unfold. That's pretty much it for today's episode. want to thank all of you who listened, especially if you're a first-timer. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you come back and listen and the best place to do that is by searching the two stripes podcast on apple podcast take 15 20 seconds leave a review leave a star rating please it it definitely helps i know every podcast shills for it but they do it because it's super important and it helps people find the show so if you like the show even if you don't like the show just leave me uh, some feedback some star ratings whatever i can do to get better, you can also send me some feedback on Twitter at Dubsco. That's D U B S C O. You can interact with me there. Oh, and before I forget, you can also listen to the show on SoundCloud. Go to soundcloud.com slash two straps pod. Find this episode and every other episode of the show there. 
I'll be back next week with a new show, and I think we're going to stick in the ACC. This show's going to have some ACC flavor to it for a little bit, so be on the lookout for that. Keep your podcast feed open to the Two Stripes podcast because I think you will enjoy next week's episode. Until then, though, I want to thank you all for listening once again. Hope you have a great week and that all of your college football teams stay suspension-free now that we are out of spring game season. That's the most important thing. But until next time, my name is Colton Denning, and this is the Two Stripes Podcast. 